Am I on? There we go. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for having me back today. Um, it's been a little bit since I've been here, and uh, I just want to thank you all for the welcome that I've received, my family and I coming here to Rocky Point. It has been far more gracious and loving than we could have ever hoped or imagined, so very much thank you for that. Um, and I'd also like to mention real quick that today is my daughter Eden's birthday. She's four years old, so that's pretty cool. She tells you she's 10. It's not true. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and dive in today. Um, we're going to turn our attention today to a very specific passage, and it's a passage that's very close to my heart. It's one that has ministered to me over the years in very deep and intimate ways. Uh, it's one that has, I think, challenged me and grown me. Probably one of the most challenging passages that I've ever had to deal with in my own uh, walk with the Lord. And I turn your attention specifically to the passage Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. So that's Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read aloud, and you all can follow along in your Bibles. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, this is a beautiful passage. And yet, ironically, uh, it's one of the most well-known passages as well. And yet, as it is one of the most well-known passages, it is actually also one of the most misused passages in the Bible. And the reason I say that is because this passage is usually not used by Christians. It is actually quite more frequently used by those who would actually abhor the Word of God. People who would not remotely enjoy the Lord who wrote the Word of God often flock to a passage like this. Now, this passage is taking place in something known as the Sermon on the Mount. And now for the prior two chapters, Jesus Christ has been giving the greatest sermon ever spoken, and his purpose is to proclaim the kingdom of God. And so he is proclaiming what does it mean to be a member of the kingdom of God. And for chapter after chapter, he has been building up this beautiful image and standard by which one is to know what it is to be a member of of the kingdom of God. And then suddenly, here in, verse, in chapter 7, he takes a shift. He moves from merely proclaiming what it means to be a member of the kingdom of God to instead describing what it means to interact with the members of the kingdom of God. In verses 1 through 12, Jesus proclaims what it is to apply with others being a member of this kingdom he proclaims. What is the essential nature of that relationship between the members of the kingdom? And he begins in a very interesting way. 
he begins with a warning. He gives us a warning which shows that most likely this is going to be a very common struggle that he warns against. In beginning the conversation about how to interact with others, he begins with, be careful. And we see in verse 1 what he pinpoints as possibly the most common struggle that we as a people will face in interacting with one another as members of this kingdom that he's proclaiming. He says, judge not, lest you be judged. Now, a verse like this can fall on eager ears, right? Because in our day and time, actually what we're finding is that to be found as a judge of other people's lifestyle or life choices is actually kind of the epitome of sin. It's one of those realities that to disagree with someone's lifestyle has become one of the most offensive things you can do towards someone. That actually to be found in judgment over another means that you're like the stench of sin incarnate. When people sense that they are being judged, they lash in return. It is one of the worst things we can be seen as doing in modern Christendom. We've even seen this mentality kind of overtake the modern, at least American, evangelical church. As we watch churches and, and, and the modern Christendom begin more and more to stress and strain that we don't necessarily need to disagree with sin. We don't necessarily need to confront a lack of biblicality. That rather what we should be focusing on is love. Just ensure that you're pouring out love is the modern, modern drum beat of our modern church. And so when the world hears something like verse 1, they tend to cling to it really passionately. Because it's something that in the Bible they can finally agree with. And so ironically, most people can actually quote this verse. They may not be able to tell you where it is, but they can quote it and they can quote it in the KJV. So, I think it's probably appropriate for us to figure out what it's saying. Jesus says, judge not lest ye be judged. What does he mean? Well, number one, it is a warning. And it is a warning that starts off the entire passage, meaning that this is going to be common. Not only is this going to be common, but warnings often don't simply warn us from a danger, but they actually make us aware of the presence of danger. Meaning that this is probably something that we won't even necessarily be aware that we're doing. We need to actually be made aware that there is a danger here when we're going to interact with people, that we are going to tend towards judgment. I think one of the best ways to understand what Jesus is saying is by understanding what Jesus is not saying. It can sometimes clarify. So I'll give at least two things that Jesus is not saying when he says, judge not lest ye be judged. Number one, that Jesus is not telling us to be undiscerning. You see, throughout the whole of Scripture, we see countless times that actually Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, are called to be some of the most discerning people on the planet. Not only that, but we are equipped to be the most discerning people on the planet. That we are called to be able to discern. There are passages like 2 Peter 2, which the entire chapter is a proclamation of our need to understand the distinction and difference between a false teacher and a true one. 
we see merely a few verses later in Matthew 7, 15 through 20, we are called to be able to discern a healthy tree from an unhealthy tree. Again, referring to the doctrinal teaching of others. We are called to be discerning. And so clearly, he is not communicating, don't worry about making sure that people are right versus wrong. We're called to do so. In fact, in that very passage, just a few uh, verses later. He's also not telling us that we are not called to disagree with others on the basis of their sinful life choices. I put before you Romans 1, 18 through 32, which is a large category of scripture that shows us that if we are indeed believers in Jesus Christ, we will disagree with the utter debauchery of the world. In fact, we must. We see also in James 4, verses 4 through 10, that if we desire to be friends with the world, we create in ourselves enmity between us and God. Friendliness with ungodly things of this world is actually enmity and creating ourselves as enemies before God. So one thing that Jesus is also not saying is not to disagree with people living contrary to that which the the Lord has been taking two chapters to proclaim. In the prior two chapters, he's been proclaiming judgments and discernments and standards. So clearly, Jesus is not telling us, don't disagree with sinful life choices and don't be discerning about false teaching. We know that for certain. Just verses later in verses 21 through 23, Jesus himself pronounces a bit of a terrifying judgment. Let me read it aloud. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You, workers of lawlessness. If that's not a proclamation of judgment, I'm not sure what it is. So clearly, those are things that Jesus is not saying. So what is he saying? Verse 2, I believe, provides some much-needed clarity. For, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use... It will be measured to you. What Christ here is saying is that when we put ourselves in the judgment seat, it means that we are holding others up by our own perception to some form of standard. It's like those you must be this tall to ride signs at amusement parks that I'm never quite tall enough to actually meet the cut on. We are upholding someone to a standard. And first and foremost, in this warning, Jesus Christ points us to considering and remembering that we are not the standard. He calls our attention firstly to the judgment that we receive. He calls us first and foremost to run our perception through the type of judgment we hope to one day receive. And for those who are in Jesus Christ... That is a beautiful standard. So, he's most likely in this passage specifically attacking some kind of false teaching of the time. 
For instance, we have the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders at the time, and they were actually a people known to be extraordinarily judgmental. These were the people that actually hated sinners. And uh, ironically, they would not lift a finger in order to help said sinners. They railed against Jesus Christ for plucking grain. They railed against him for not washing his hands. They were very judgmental. But the issue that Jesus had with them when you read the narrative of the New Testament, was not that they judged. It was that they judged wrongly. They judged with the wrong standard. And so, as we approach this passage, it's very important to make sure that we understand when someone is able to throw out, judge not lest he be judged, we actually understand what's being said here. Jesus firstly calls our attention in our interactions with other people that we will most likely struggle with judging others by our own standard. We will naturally view people through a skewed lens. Our natural tendency will be to judge wrongly. And so, he begins with a warning against that which we will struggle with most. And he begins to point to the standard that God gives to us as our barometer for how to interact with others. In essence, he says, be careful what standard you judge others with. If that standard were held up to you, how would you fare? Well, then Jesus continues on. Very thankful. In verse 3 and 4, he begins to take this principle here, and he begins to apply this principle in a very practical description of... um, of how to flesh this out. He, in fact, takes a bit of an outlandish and quite comical example in order to make a ridiculous expression of how we naturally tend towards interacting with one another. Let's read it. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye. Now Jesus here paints a very interesting picture about when we approach another member of the kingdom of God to deal with an issue in their life without first doing proper preparation. In this example, there's a man with a small twig. Now that word speck, it doesn't mean sawdust. It it means something small. And nonetheless, it's cumbersome enough to create a substantial or significant amount of pain when placed in the human eye. Now, the human eye is probably used because it's one of the most sensitive areas on the human body. It doesn't take much for the human eye to experience pain. Put your contact in backwards, and I'll prove it to you. In fact, if a human being were to even stare into a small light for an extended period of time, they could for some time be considerably blind. Sometimes it doesn't even take foreign material, but merely light, to make the human eye hurt. And so, Jesus is giving an example. In that example, there is foreign material substantial enough to cause a decent amount of pain in a brother's life and walk with the Lord. Now, our natural response really ought to be to help that person. That's good. That's a good response. And in fact, we will see soon that's not the issue at hand. Rather, Jesus focuses to the true issue that is at hand. That we are quite quick to be able to see problems in other people's lives. In fact, we can become masters at it. 
Oh, the ease of finding wrongs in the lives of our family members. Oh, the ease of finding wrongs in our co-workers' lives. Oh, the ease of finding wrongs in the eyes of our friends, our, our enemies, our fellow church members, our politicians. We are quick to seek to pull the specks from others' eyes. Now, this, as we see later, will not actually be the issue that Jesus is trying to deal with. Our ability to see sin in others' lives is not what makes us blind. Just as judging is not the main issue in verses 1 and 2, the issue is judging rightly. Now the issue in verses 3 through 4 is not seeing the speck. It's not seeing it rightly. For Jesus then says, how do you not see the log? He's showing us that we're living by a self-defeating system. You see, the fact that we are able to see sin in another person's life is the proof that we should be able to see. It's proof that we should be able to see sin, period. And yet he sets up this example to say, now wait a second, then how don't you see the log in your own eye? By being able to see the speck, it shows we ought to see, period. Now, the term log here is really more like a beam. It's not even like a two-by-four, but rather it was a terminology to use the, the, the word that was basically like the beam that would actually hold up and support a house. Jesus is actually being almost ex excessive here, describing this picture that should be ridiculous were we to see it in real terms. It's not a two-by-four, it's the central beam holding up an entire house. And so what Jesus is putting before us is, now wait a second, you are barely even able to lift your own head, and yet you see the speck over there? You are so encumbered by your own life issue, you shouldn't be able to walk over to your brother. Yet you have the arrogance to say, I have the arrogance to say, let me fix that. The issue is not seeing the speck in our brother's eye. The issue is that we are way too blind to even deal with it. So Jesus points out, when we interact with others, our temptation will, number one, be to judge. And so he calls us to judge by a right standard. Well, but then how do we ensure that we're judging by a right standard? Because those Pharisees actually, they quoted a lot of Old Testament scripture. But they did it wrongly. Well, the issue is that there's always something first and foremost hindering my vision. So people often say, what's the difference here between the speck and the log? Is what Jesus is uh, proclaiming here basically, okay, well, if I've got a large sin in my life, then I shouldn't go around trying to correct other people's minor, small, insignificant sins. No, I don't think that's remotely the point here. Why? Because there's no small God for a small sin there to be against. We see in James chapter 2, verse 10, that if anyone is a breaker of the law, they are a breaker of the entirety of the law. You see, the law of God is like a pane of glass. If it's broken at any point, it is simply broken. There are no minor sins. Rather, what Jesus helps us to keep in view here is the understanding of perception. For the speck is far away, whereas the log is quite near. Jesus intends here to show us 
that until there is nothing in our eye, until there is nothing in my vision, there might as well be a house beam hanging from my face. Were a surgeon to have even a small speck in their eye, during a microscopic surgery, they would be as worthless as if an entire beam hung from their eye. That's Jesus' point here. It's not as though, as long as we don't have a big sin in our life, we're good. No, no. The point is that the most important sin, the most damaging sin, the most imperative sin to deal with rests in my eye always. For until I deal with that log, the issue of my life that I struggle with, it doesn't matter how much I care about the other person, no matter how much I want to help them, I will not see rightly. Now, it fascinates me, and it really shouldn't, how often I I get to converse with people about struggles in life and in their marriage. And boy, can they pinpoint the exact issue going on in the other person's life. Let's say that we've got a, a husband and wife coming in, and I ask what the problem is. The husband says, who's the problem? You may answer. Mm-hmm. The wife says, who's the problem? Mm-hmm. Now what we have is the ability to see not only what happened and, and how they're doing it and how often they're doing it and where they're doing it, but they even are able to say, now I think this is why they're doing it. But then I'll say, so now how have you contributed to the issue at hand? It's like crickets. I practiced making my cricket noise. I couldn't pull it off, so I decided not to do it. Nonetheless, we have an ability, don't we, to see the sin in others. And hear what Jesus insinuates is that if a person is able to see the sin in another's eye and seek to approach another person without dealing with an issue in their life, they will do far more harm than healing. If we're going to do so, we're going to do so blindly. Now, I wonder often, do I not do this with my own children? As my impatience and uh, uh, my, my self-love uh, in my children's activity and maybe their impatience or maybe in their uh, buffoonery, it begins to build and build and build and draw out the response that dwells in my heart and I snap, be patient. Now, in doing so, I have not dealt with the speck in their eye. I have lacerated their eye with the board that hangs from mine. And I have blinded them from seeing their sin. You know why? Because their sin will not seem like an issue because mine has seemed so vile to them. I have hindered their ability to see. As with a spouse, when we see our spouse struggling with someone, our friend, our, our brother or sister, our coworker, our boss, when we approach them to deal with it, how often do we kind of approach them with an arrogant, judgmental, you should be better and you should do better attitude, and we end up harshly attacking, criticizing, or nagging them instead of coming alongside of them in help. And like an animal caught in a trap, as you try to help, they will simply see us as the aggressor causing them pain. We do far more damage, not by seeing the speck and loving people enough to try and deal with it, but by first not clearing our vision. 
by doing it blinded by our own sin in the situation. So what is Jesus' prescription? What's his fix? What's his answer to the problem? I'm glad you asked. Verse 5. You hypocrite. First take out the log of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You hypocrite, says Jesus. He loves us enough to point out the log in our eye, does he not? You hypocrite. There is the central problem in our interactions with others. When we judge by a wrong standard, we judge hypocritically. We will not point others towards godliness. We will do damage in their ability to actually see sin in their life. When we lash out, perhaps online, against a different political opinion or a different opinion on what we've convinced ourselves is somehow a right, are we truly helping people deal with their sin? Or do we reveal that our sin is what they should be concerning themselves with? When a father approaches a child with a how dare you attitude, or when a wife criticizes her husband for anything that doesn't perfectly please her, Jesus is very clear here. We are not remotely equipped to dealing with anyone else's sin until we have done something first. Now I say first because that insinuates that something else follows. The issue, again, is not seeing in someone else's life. Meaning that judging someone is not the main issue. Seeing sin as sin and loving someone enough to deal with it is not the problem. It means that there is an order by which we must do so. So what is this process? Well, we see it's to take the log out of our own eye. What is this? I can't see it as anything other than repentance and confession. This is what it comes down to, an admission and a confession of our failure to live up to God's standard. Not comparing, well, at least I'm not doing what they're doing, but remember, we're meant to judge with the proper standard, God's standard. We will not see clearly to hold others up to his standard lest we do so for ourselves first. And so, we not only are called to admit that we have failed God's standard, but then to turn in response to our sin we see this really well in 1 John, so I'm going to read it aloud. Don't turn there necessarily, but 1 John verses 1, 7 through 10. Some of the most beautiful passages in Scripture here. And I really wish I could go more in depth, but they gave me a time limit. So, don't know why. But if we walk in the light, John says, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Interesting point there. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The beauty in that passage is mind-boggling. I'm going to try and fast-forward through it. What we can understand from what John is saying here is a couple of different things. Number one, he is speaking indeed about fellowship, which would be known as the interaction between those in the kingdom. And John does not define fellowship as food or fun. Those, those are great things. He defines fellowship as being known. First by God, 
and then by man. We have true fellowship with one another when we are truly known, when the logs and the specks are exposed, when we are living in repentance. That terminology of to confess and repent, it's not past tense. In fact, the way it is worded, it seems far more likely that what it means is not only that this is something that's happened in the past, but it's something that is lived in. Something that continues on without end. It is something that is to be the standard by which believers in Jesus Christ, members in the kingdom of God, live in. If we approach someone in a fight we have with them and claim to have no fault, in that we are not only blind, but we are blind to our blindness. He states that first we must confess and repent, and then he cleanses us from our log. Repentance is never to be a one-time punctiliar activity of the past. It is the very way of life of a believer. We are called to live in log removal. Why? Because we live filth with sin, do we not? We don't merely remove the log once a long time ago. Rather, we live in it. In every interaction with another human being, there's going to be two sinners at least there. And so Jesus begins by setting our eyes straight. When we notice sin in the eye of another, we must immediately know that there is a process by which we must go through to be ready to help them with it. Am I in a fight with my spouse? I have a log to remove. Am I struggling with my child? I have a log I need to remove before I can go and tell them why they're wrong. Before I go bludgeoning, bludgeoning their eye, I need to ensure I see straight. Am I in a struggle with a friend? Am I in a struggle with a coworker, a boss, a building contractor, a pastor, an ice cream cone salesman, anyone? Am I struggling in a relationship? then before I go tell them what they have done wrong and why they have failed to live up to the standard, I darn well better be looking where the log is in my eye. My first question ought to be, how have I failed to live up to God's standard? Where have I fallen short in my interaction with others as God calls me to do so? Because if I do not do that, then Jesus says that I am a blind fool to go after that person thinking that I am going to set them straight. Jesus calls us to live in log removal. The life of a believer is one to be of continual repentance and faith. Can I just say, is it not amazing that God even allows us the ability to do this? That 2 Corinthians says that it's by the power of God's Holy Spirit that we're able to even see our own sin and think biblically about it. Not only has God promised the ability to see our sin and then remove it, but he's given us this process of repentance and confession where he promises he's not only faithful to forgive us of our sin, but he's very just to do it. His only response to our repentance is indeed forgiveness because the sin has been dealt with. Because Jesus Christ loved us enough to prove to us we were wretches. 
that we might actually experience fellowship with God. That we might actually experience fellowship with one another. So, God has given us a true standard for judging man. But we must hold in mind continually the fact that first and foremost it does not judge other men. It first and foremost judges me. My first question must be, where am I blind? Where have I gone wrong? Now, do you know what happens in, in marriages and relationships? I'm going to use marriages. When, when marriages begin to fight like this, I've had the blessing of being in a few fights like that with my wife. And they're actually, I don't want to say fun, they're, they are good. Because fights like that go a little bit something like this. I wrote this down. Don't quote me on it. Honey... I get so angry. Honey, I have been so unloving and unkind to you. I've been so quick to anger with you. Will you please forgive me? Because I have not treated you the way that Christ calls me to treat you. Because if I see an issue in your life, my duty is to come alongside you lovingly and in an understanding way instead of being quick and snapping at you. Well, and then my wife responds with something like this. Well, yeah, but when I, when I was first not doing what I should have been doing. I was letting my mind run amok. I was choosing to discipline myself towards ungodliness instead of godliness. Will you please forgive me for not being prepared to be the helpmeet that I'm called to be? And we're both like, yeah, yeah, I love you, I love you, I forgive you. What a fight. It is a wonderful blessing, and it is very rare in my household, unfortunately. But when I'm walking well with the Lord and she is walking well with the Lord, there is beauty in fellowship like that. This is the interaction that is called for in the kingdom of God. When we're not living according to this, it's a bloodbath. And it is right that people shout at us, judge not. They just don't understand what they're saying. Until you have first learned to pick logs, you are not prepared to do speck surgery. If I am fighting with my boss, I have a log to pick. If I'm fighting with my employees, I have a log to pick. If I'm fighting with my overcritical, narcissistic, lazy, gluttonous, selfish spouse, I have a log to pick. Are my kids driving me up a wall? Be careful. There is a log to pick. Because am I upset that my children are doing what they're doing because I love them and fear for their relationship with the Lord? Or am I angry that they don't bow to me as they ought? There's a log to pick. Jesus calls us to live in log picking. Now, why? See, the answer a lot of times will be that we kind of go, well, okay, then I'm just going to stop and huddle in a corner and I'm done. I will not interact with people because I'm not supposed to judge. And clearly I'm always living in sin, so it's like my eyes are next to a wood chipper. How am I called to do this? Someone got that. All right, I thought that was all right. Well, Jesus tells us. Jesus actually tells us why we are called to live with such an awareness of our sin. Why are we called to be so quick to spot the sin in our eye? So quick to be able to remove our sins? Because we are commanded to judge. We are commanded to pick the end of verse 5 he says then you will see clearly 
not to live and let live, not to don't ask, don't tell, not to just not snoop because that's not my business, that's theirs. Rather, it is to take the speck out of your brother's eye. An essential part of relationships in the kingdom of God. Verse 5 tells us how we are called to obey what verse 12 says. At the very end of this section, when Jesus has finished describing the way that others are meant to interact, the epitome is, So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Verse 12 calls us to treat our neighbor in the same way that we want to be treated. The answer is not live and let live. Verse 5 tells us that we are called to be able to see well enough that we may rightly, wisely, kindly, patiently, lovingly help our neighbor with their speck. When one is in agony over pain of a speck in their eye, it is unloving to not desire to help. The answer is not stay away. The answer is deal with me first so I can draw near. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. There it is. The description of those who are in the kingdom, how they're called to live with one another. It's to be a relationship of constant eye-picking. It's to be a relationship that is often quite uncomfortable and painful. It's to be so intimate and honest and real in the light. It is to be a relationship of duty to others for their good, not my comfort. The relationship that I have with another believer is meant to be bent towards doing what I want them to do to me, which is hold the perfect standard of God up in order to help me see that I have a problem and to point me to the solution. We're not called to let one another wander into sin. We judge rightly we witness the sin of others rightly. We pick the speck of others rightly. Only when we are first training ourselves to do so well by having to pick the logs out of our eyes first. I am not ready to parent well if I'm not living in log picking. I am not ready to be a God-honoring co-worker or boss unless I am living in dealing with my sin. I am not ready to be a godly spouse until I am living in dealing with my sin. I am not ready to be a member of the kingdom of God that is honoring to him in the way I interact with others unless I am dealing with my sin and lovingly going to help and deal with theirs as well. So I ask of you, will you love others enough to deal with their sin? Will you love others enough to deal with yours first? When we live in the light of fellowship with one another, we're going to be seeing a whole bunch of logs and specks. Which also should let us be warned, if this isn't happening, we're not having true fellowship. Because the sin is there. It's just not being dealt with. 
as our God loved us, as he saw us in our plight and sought to come and die for sinners, so now we are called to live in the freedom of being able to repent, that we may love rightly others as we want them to love us. May we be a people of repentance so that we can be a people willing and able to deal well with one another's sins. It shouldn't be embarrassing for us to confess our sin to one another. Why? Because we have to assume it's already there. It shouldn't be embarrassing for others to see our sin. Why? Because they are the help God has given to us in dealing with it. If it's embarrassing, it's because we don't understand just how humble we ought to be. We don't understand what true fellowship ought to be. Not sinless faux peace, but constant, loving sin confrontation. First mine, and then yours. Praying that you would love me enough to do the same for me. May we judge rightly the same way we have been judged under the grace and mercy of God through Jesus Christ. Because our perfect judge saw our sin and loved us enough to draw near and rescue us blind sinners. Let us judge rightly by first judging ourselves. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father God, you are a good God. Lord, you are such a good God that you could love sinners. You could love sinners to the point of, as Philippians 2 says, to the point of taking on the form of a slave, bowing your rights and power to death, even to a humiliating death on the cross. Lord God, I pray for every one of us who are in here who are believers in Jesus Christ. May you convince us of the gospel that we may see our sin rightly that we would not hide from it, but that we would live in the confession of it. That we would not bank on the fact that when we were eight years old, we confessed our sin. But Lord, that we would be aware that we dwell in brokenness. That we may dwell in the union you call us to as believers, not through fake peace, but Lord, through confession and repentance. That when we so love others as you have loved us, worthless sinners, that we may go to them and actually help them with their sin rather than lacerate them with ours. Lord, may Rocky Point Church be a place of true fellowship, 
a place that is filled with sin that's being exposed and dealt with. Lord, may we love one another as members of the King of God, the kingdom of God. May we love one another well enough to have true fellowship. Lord God, it is by your mercy and grace that we can see our sin. It's by your mercy and grace that our sin has been nailed to the cross. It's by your mercy and grace that we can confess our sin and live in peace, unity, fellowship. And Lord, it is your sanctifying grace that allows us to then be conformed more to your image through this process that you have given us called fellowship, confession, repentance, log picking, and spec surgery. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.